If you have a Bible, would you turn with me to Revelation chapter 2? We're going through the moment, the first vision in the book of Revelation. There are various visions in the book of Revelation as um, God reveals to John the message that he wants to give us to encourage us to keep going as we live in uh, the brokenness of this world in its various forms and wait for the return of Jesus. And this first vision, if we could have the, the slide up just to remind you how it works, it begins, John identifies himself as a fellow uh, traveler on that journey of struggle. And then we have the vision of Jesus, which is the, kind of the big picture at the beginning of this vision. And then seven letters to the churches. Um, I said about the structure of those seven letters last week. Uh, one and seven are almost at the point of death. Um, we saw last week Jesus is saying, unless you repent of that lack of love, I will withdraw the lampstand. There will be no more church. And Laodicea, Jesus says, I'm outside. I'm knocking on the door. You've got that choice to let me in or not. But things are in a really bad shape for those two churches. Um, today we're going to look at Smyrna, which is modern day Izmir, if you know um, your geography of Turkey. So that's the city um, where the church was that's being written to in this letter. Uh, and you see I'll put that in green because Smyrna and Philadelphia, these are the churches where God, where Jesus has no criticism. He brings no rebuke to those churches. He just says, keep on going as you are doing. And then we'll look at Pergamon, Thyatira and Sardis as well as we go through these letters. So Revelation 2, and we're going to read from verse 8. Verse 11. Write to the angel of the church in Smyrna. Thus says the first and the last, the one who was dead and came to life. I know your affliction and poverty, but you are rich. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. Look, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison to test you, and you will experience affliction for ten days. Be faithful to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will never be harmed by the second death. I want you to imagine that you are a Christian living in a city in the Middle East today. Sunday's coming. And you're looking forward to meeting with the church, but you don't know when and you don't know where. Because in your city, it is so dangerous for Christians to meet. Eventually, the invite arrives. Join us Sunday, 6pm, to watch Tottenham Hotspurs play Manchester United. You accept. 
Sunday comes and you make your way to a flat on the fifth floor of an apartment building. You knock on the door and it opens a crack. And I looks at you, waiting for the password. You rack your brain. What did we decide? Home team or away team? You remember, Manchester United, the door opens and in you walk. In a corner, a TV is blaring. It's the build-up to Tottenham versus Manchester United. But you walk past the TV and you join a small group sat in a circle in the corner, the other corner of the room. As you sit, you get out your phone and you receive a text. You click on the link and up comes the words of a song. Everyone looks at their phones. Mouths are moving, but no sound. Everyone finishes and it goes still. The leader makes a sign, Matthew 21. You open your Bible app. So Matthew 21, you read through the passage. You read it to yourself. When you finish, you, you, you look up and the person on your right is still reading. So you wait for them to finish too. They whisper some thoughts in your mind, in your ear. Some thoughts from the passage. You do the same back. It's hard to hear over the football game going at the other end of the room, but... That noise is necessary to cover any sound of the meeting because the neighbours can't suspect anything or they report you. Another text comes through. It's the final song. As people mouth the words, the person opposite you begins to cry and weep. The sobs get louder. Someone will hear Everyone gets up. They gather around the person. They put their hands on them and they start shouting, Tottenham, Tottenham, Manchester United, Manchester United. As the sobbing gets quieter, people return to their seats and finish the song. The meeting's over. Everyone loads up the wipe screen app so there's no trace of what has happened as we leave. One by one, people go to the door and exit. On the way home, you reflect, what a service. It was so good to see others, to be encouraged, to worship together. The presence of God was so real. You've been blessed, ready for the week ahead. Welcome to the persecuted Church, church, very different to how we do it. Christians living in a very different situation to where we live. How do you live as a Christian under persecution? How do you face the scariness of every day without being overwhelmed? Without being filled with fear? Yet that was a question very real for the, the church here in Smyrna. Now, Jesus identifies the church in Smyrna as a 
persecuted church. They were afflicted. They had active persecution. People that were doing stuff to harm them. They had poverty. They had passive persecution. Maybe they couldn't get jobs or they couldn't get the the jobs that paid enough to be able to live properly because they were Christians. And and then you have lies being told about them, the slander that is coming out of the synagogue about them. Here is a persecuted church. In one sense, as we understand the situation that all of these seven churches were in, all of them would have been persecuted at this time. But particularly, Jesus said, Smyrna is the church under persecution. How were they to live life without fear? How were they to face the affliction and the poverty and the slander without it becoming overwhelming? What does Jesus say? He says, do not fear. Be faithful to the point of death. But how? How could they do that? I want to give you this morning one answer in five parts. Okay, one answer. If you don't remember the five parts, remember the one answer. Look at Jesus. How could they face the scary stuff without fear, even to the point of death? Look at Jesus. Here are the five parts. First one. Look at Jesus and see his eternal nature. Look at Jesus and see his eternal nature. Write to the angel of the church in Smyrna. Thus says, here's how Jesus introduces himself. Before he says anything about their situation, here's how Jesus introduces himself. Thus says, the first and the last. The one who was there in the beginning and the one who will be there in the end. We've seen already, looking at um, Revelation chapter 1, that this reference, as it's given to the Father and to Jesus the Son, is a reference to his eternal nature, that he has always been and will always be. What does that tell us about Jesus? Well, it tells us he is the creator Or the origin of all things. If we go right back to the beginning of the Bible, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God is the first. He is the originator of everything that comes, uh, everything that we see and everything that we experience. He is the first. He's the creator God. But he's also the guaranteed last man standing. He is the last. don't know how many of you are excited about the Olympic Games coming up this summer. Two weeks or three weeks of um, decent television in the evening. You can watch the catch up on what's happening. And it's, it's interesting. And I, I love the Olympic Games. I love being able to watch it. And I love the different sports that I don't normally get to see. Things like Taekwondo and Judo. Anyone watch the Taekwondo and Judo? Not, I don't do it every four years, but sometimes I get interested. 
And the way that it kind of works, this tournament structure that you have these, these battles that are down here, lots of them going on, and then some people get knocked out and it goes up, and the winner is the last person standing. Jesus is the ultimate last person standing. He will always win the tournament because no one can beat him. Paul points that out. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is on our side, if we are on God's side, to put it in the more biblical way, we cannot lose because he is the guaranteed last man standing. When did you see how understanding those things of Jesus or seeing Jesus that way will make a difference if you're sitting under persecution? Open Doors produced the World Watch List. Number one on the World Watch List, the hardest place for Christians to live today is North Korea. President of North Korea is Kim Jong-un. He is someone, if you're living in North Korea, someone who seems to have all power all authority, and is undefeatable. You can understand how it would be easy to feel like that under his regime, under his oppression, um, spies everywhere, and you can't get out under his hatred of Christ and the church. But if you take King John un and then you compare him to Jesus, suddenly he looks quite different because Jesus is the creator and King Jong-un is a creature and at some point there will come a battle round between King Jong-un and Christ and there will be only one winner in that battle it's Jesus And so if you're there in North Korea and you're in that situation, what do you need to do? You need to look at Jesus and see his majesty, see his glory, see his eternal nature. And then although King Jong-un is still scary, he isn't someone to fear. Now let's be honest this morning. If seeing Jesus makes a difference... In North Korea, if seeing Jesus helps you to face the scariness of a regime that is against the church in North Korea, how much will seeing Jesus make a difference in our lives? You're at work, maybe you're in a situation where you volunteer, maybe it's in your neighborhood, and there is somebody who is making life very difficult for you. There's somebody who's spreading lies about you or somebody who's bringing affliction against you. And you're feeling overwhelmed and under attack. What difference would it make to see Jesus? In that situation, to see the glory of Christ, to see the eternal nature of Christ, suddenly that person doesn't is not so frightening anymore. How do we face the scary without fear? We need to look at Jesus. So look at Jesus, see his eternal nature. That's the first part. Secondly, we need to look at Jesus and see his victory. 
Look at Jesus and see his victory. Verse 8 again. Thus says the first and the last. And then Jesus continues to introduce himself. What does he say? The one who was dead and came to life. Here's a question for you. What is the worst thing someone can do to you? What is the worst thing someone can do to you? Now, I'm anticipating a little bit of a response on my answer to this question. Because over recent years, we've become so materialistic and things like physical health and having all of our abilities and being able to do what we want has become so important to us that almost death is, is, is considered a, a lesser thing than being impaired at all in life. But that is not the case if you look historically. Historically, everybody understood that the worst thing that could happen to you was to be killed or die. The worst thing that can happen to you. It is the worst punishment in the justice system. If you go up the layers, I know we don't have it here in this country, but if you go up the layers, what is the last resort? What is the worst punishment that can be handed out? Death. What is the highest threat that someone can make? I'm going to kill you. That is the worst thing that anybody can do to you. But if you're a Christian, you have nothing to fear from death. Why? Because Jesus has beaten it. He is the one who was dead and came to life. He is the one that they trapped in the tomb. But what does Mark 16, 6 tell us? But he has risen from the dead. How many of you have got jack-in-the-box toys? Anyone got a jack-in-the-box toy? Am I completely talking to the wrong generation? None of you children have jack-in-the-box toys. You need to go to an antique shop and get a jack-in-the-box toy. It was a toy with this kind of thing that you squashed down and closed the lid. You trapped it in, but then you turned a handle and it sprung back up. The way that the Greek was put here from the sort of commentators um, describing it is kind of like that, that, that Jesus was dead but then sprang back to life. You couldn't contain him. He has defeated death. Death is not something that can trap Christ. He has destroyed the power of death. Do you see the difference that knowing that will make as you live in a situation where you're persecuted for your faith? Again, go back to Open Doors World Watch List. The second most difficult country for Christians to live in is the country of Somalia. We mentioned this last Sunday as we prayed for Christians in Somalia and that there's a group called Al-Shabaab who are going around trying to make life difficult for Christians. And if they find someone who has converted from Islam to Christ, they are likely to kill them on the spot. That's scary, isn't it? That's a scary situation to find ourselves in. To think that we could go into the week and if this group discovered us, they'd put a gun to our head and kill us or something worse. But what a difference it makes when you look at Jesus. His death, very ominously sort of hanging over us, but 
here's Jesus who has defeated death. Here's Jesus who's killed death. Here's Jesus who's turned death for the Christian into a gateway to life. Because it leads to eternity with him. For the Christian, yes, death is still scary, but we have nothing to fear. It's okay to die. And if Jesus makes a difference to someone living in that situation in Somalia, surely seeing Jesus can make a difference for us today. Where are we brought face to face with death in our life? One would be a terminal diagnosis. Doctor's given us a matter of weeks. Death is on the horizon. Maybe it's something that you've received yourself. Maybe it's something that a Christian brother or sister or family member has received. That news is hard. That news is scary. But if we see Jesus, that news is okay. Because there's nothing to fear. He has defeated death. He was dead, but is alive again. How do we face the scary without fear? We need to look at Jesus. So that's the second one. Thirdly, we need to look at Jesus and see his understanding. We need to look at Jesus and see his understanding. Look at verse 9. I know your affliction and poverty, but you are rich. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. What does Jesus say here? He says he knows what is happening in Smyrna. As they go through all this stuff that's happening, Jesus says, I know that you're going through it. I know what is taking place. I think there's two things he's communicating through that word, I know. The first is this, he sees what's going on. He sees the afflictions. He sees every blow that is brought against the church and against his people. He sees every attack that is aimed at them. He sees their poverty. He sees their lack of material possessions. And he sees the impact of that on their life. And he sees the slander. This situation, um, we're unclear quite exactly what this slander was. It, it might have something to do with um, the sort of the special status that Jewish people had in the Roman Empire. So this is slander coming from the synagogue, um, the, the Jewish people in the town. And the Jews had a special status that they were the only group of people that could... Um, didn't have to get involved with the emperor worship of the day. So all the other Roman citizens had to worship the emperor, but the Jews, because of their religious background, had this um, special dispensation that they didn't have to get involved in it. And to begin with, the Christian church was seen as a sect of the Jews, so they benefited from that. And it could be here that the Jews say, oh, they're nothing to do with us. They got no connection with our scriptures. They got no connection with our God. And that might be where the lies are coming from and the difficulties are coming from. Or it could be something completely different. Whatever's happening, Jesus is saying, I see it. I see what is going on. 
One of the difficulties when hard stuff goes on in our life, uh, particularly when it's personal attacks, is we can feel very alone and isolated. A lot of it can happen out of the sight of other people. It might even be coming from someone who's very respected from other people, but to you they bring this attack. And you can feel like nobody knows and you're having to bear it all by yourself. But Jesus says, I see. I see what's going on. David puts it like this in Psalm 139. Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I stand up. You understand my thoughts from far away. You observe my travels and my rest. You are aware of all my ways. There is nothing that goes on in our lives, nothing that we experience that Jesus does not see. He knows. I think this word no goes further than seeing. It's not just that Jesus is saying, I see with my eyes. He's saying, I understand what you're going through. I know what you're going through. In Hebrews 4, we're told we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who's been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. When we look at Jesus, he is not just someone who sees the difficulty that we go through. He's someone who's been through the difficulty we go through. As Jesus writes this letter to Smyrna and he talks of their affliction, he is the afflicted one. As he talks about their poverty, he is the one who had nowhere to lay his head. He had nothing to his name except a robe that they tore up or stuff that they divided at his death and they cast lots for his robe. He knew what it was to be poor. And when it comes to their slander that they're experiencing, he knew what it was to be slandered. His whole trial was a a categoric list of slander against him. Jesus understands what it is to be persecuted. Yeah, there's a big difference, isn't there? I wonder how many of you have broken a bone in your body before? Anyone? Few people? And some people who aren't sure they aren't sure about it. Some people, if you've broken a bone, I've never broken a bone in my body, and you were in hospital, I could come and speak to you, and I would say, I imagine it hurts. I'd probably be right that it does hurt, but I'd have to say, I imagine it hurts because I don't know. And you're you're there with a cast on your arm or a cast on your leg. I say, I imagine that's pretty sweaty and horrible in the sun, but I don't know. I haven't been there. But if someone else comes who's broken their arm or broken their leg, they say, I know. They don't have to say anything. They just know what you're going through. When Jesus speaks to us in our difficulties, He knows what we're going through. Not just because he sees, but because he understands. Wonder, do you see the difference that knowing that, seeing that makes as you experience persecution? We go back to our world watch list from Open Doors. Number three is Libya. We'll be praying for them uh, next Sunday or the following Sunday, depending on how it works. 
In Libya, um, one of the difficulties Christians face there is because of the, um, the issues of government in that country, most of the country is ruled by local militias. And there's very little church experience because it's so dangerous to meet with other Christians. And if you're converted uh, to Christ, you face house arrest, you face attack, you face abduction, and you face murder. And because of the situation, and, and those things can happen by local militia, they can happen in the dead of night, a lot of that stuff, no one knows it's going on. No one sees no one's able to then bring your name to the government or, or to court and, and, and kind of get you out of whatever system you've been put in. You're very much on your own, isolated. And you can imagine Christians feeling very, very alone. What a difference it makes, though, to see Jesus. He sees. He understands. He is with them. And if seeing Jesus makes a difference in Libya, how much will seeing Jesus make a difference in our lives? Maybe maybe you're struggling with somebody who's bullying you in some way. It could be at school, it could be at work. It might be physical, it might be emotional, it might be online, it might be in person. A a lot of bullying happens in secret, in quiet places. You may speak up about it, but often the victim of bullying is not believed. Because that person doesn't behave the same way with other people. We can feel very alone. But if we look at Jesus, what do we see? Someone who knows what we're going through. Someone who sees. Someone who understands. Someone who's with us. How do we face the scary without fear? We look at Jesus. The third part. Fourthly, look at Jesus and see his throne. Look at Jesus and see his throne. Look at verse 10. Don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. Look, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison to test you, and you will experience affliction for 10 days. Be faithful to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. Now, if I was to hear one of my children crying when they were younger, and go into their bedroom. And I was to say, don't be afraid. I would follow that up with something comforting. Like, don't be afraid. I'm here. Or don't be afraid. It's not that bad. But that, that's how I would work. I think probably it's how most of you would work in that scenario. Look at what Jesus does. Don't be afraid. It's going to get worse. Is that what he's saying here? Don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. Here's all this stuff that's going on. Okay, I know about that. But don't be afraid. It's going to get worse. Look, 
The devil is about to throw some of you into prison. You thought it was just the authorities of men. Let me tell you, the devil is out to get you. And he's going to be attacking you. And he's going to throw you in prison. And he's going to test you. And you will experience affliction. It's going to get worse. Where's the comfort in these words? The comfort is in the last three words of that sentence. For ten days. How long is 10 days? Is it exactly, literally 10 days? Or is it a certain length of time that's represented by 10 days? That's the the thing of Revelation being this pictorial language. Um, Sometimes it it kind of symbolizes something. It might be literally. We don't know those answers. But the truth that's there in those words for 10 days, what Jesus is saying is, this is going to happen. It's going to be hard, but it will be a limited time. It will not go on forever. We might put it like this. Jesus is saying, it's going to be hard, but I've set a start point and an end point. And it will not go outside of those points that I have set. So you go back to what Mark talked about earlier, about authority. Who has authority? Who has authority in this world when bad things happen? Jesus has authority. He has authority to say, not before then, to say, not after then. He has authority to set the limits of Satan's work. If you imagine a, a, a dog on an extendable lead... It might look like they are free to roam, but at some point they get to the end of that lead and it's no further. It might look like the devil is free to roam and do whatever he wants, but Jesus is in charge. He is sitting on the throne. And I know there's confusing things there. How does that work in reality? But the Bible states it over and over again. The clearest statement of this is actually when we come to the cross. The cross is Satan thinking that he has his greatest victory. I've killed the Son of God. But as we pull back the curtains, we discover that God is in charge. And Satan is just carrying out God's will. Listen to these words in Acts 4. This is um, the church praying. So they're experiencing persecution and they're praying about the sovereignty of God. For in fact, in this city, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, they assemble together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. So here is the world against Jesus, thinking that they are in charge. They're going to kill God's son. But what do they do? To do whatever your hand And your will had predestined to take place. God was in charge. And Jesus wants the church in Smyrna to know that. Look, it's going to get worse. But I'm in charge, Jesus says. I've set the limits. It won't be forever. Do you see the difference that makes to Christians under persecution? The fourth uh, country on the world watch list is Eritrea. 
And in Eritrea, um, one of the things that's going on at the moment is um, raids that particularly target church leaders. And from these raids, Christians then are put into the prison system. And the prison system in Eritrea, uh, there's not much recourse there. and People get lost in the prison system. And so being put into the prison system can end up with you being detained indefinitely without trial. It's a system with no accountability. And you can imagine, if you're in that system, if you're put in that system, you feel powerless to do anything. What a difference it makes to see Jesus on the throne. Who's really in charge? Not the prison guards. Not this system that isn't working. But Jesus. Jesus who died for us. Jesus who loves us. He's the one in control. He's the one who sets the limits. He's the one who set your release date if there is one physically. Or your release date if it's death that brings you out of that system and into his presence. He's the one who's in charge. And if seeing Jesus makes a difference in Eritrea, how much more should it make a difference in our lives where we don't face that kind of thing? I don't know about you, but the last few years have kind of brought home to me how much we are, put in inverted commas, at the mercy of world events. Whether they're natural disasters, the weather, you know, flooding. Yeah, even getting to Peterborough can become difficult because of the flooding, can't it? Whether it's disease. Who would have thought five years ago if we stood up here saying, all of us are going to be shutting our houses, we can't go out because of a disease. War, the effect of war on prices and freedom. Our lives are very much lived within the context of what's happening in the world. What a comfort it is to know that Jesus is in control. We don't have to fear any of those scary things. How do we face the scary without fear? We look at Jesus. And then the fifth part, look at Jesus and see his promise. Look at Jesus and see his promise. Look at verse 9. I know your afflictions and poverty, but then Jesus interjects this, but you are rich. What a strange thing to say. Here is a church that is poor, but Jesus says, but you are rich. Here is a church that everybody despises, but Jesus says, you are rich. How can that be true? Because in Christ, they are the recipients of incredible promises and amazing hope. Two things that are pointed out in this letter. As Christians... These people in Smyrna are on course to receive the crown of life. That's what we have at the end of verse 10. After Jesus says, don't be afraid, it's going to get worse. He explains how it's going to get worse, but it's going to be limited. Then he says, be faithful to the point of death. And I will give you the crown of life. We go back to the Olympic Games. 
Smyrna was known as a city uh, for its games. So it had these sort of these early Olympic style games where people would come and they would compete. And when they won their race, they would receive a crown. Not sort of the diadem, the kingly crown, but, but a laurel wreath, which would be their crown. In effect, if Jesus was to write this today, he would, would, would write something like, and I will give you the gold medal of life. Because that's what the crown symbolized. You can imagine the marathon runner who breaks away, but it's hard work. They've gone a little bit too early and, and they're digging deep because it's getting hard to keep on going. But that encouragement, keep going, keep going, keep going, even if you collapse over the line because you will get the gold medal at the end. Jesus is saying, keep going because you will win the prize. And what is the prize? Life with Jesus forever. They are rich in the promises of God. Or then we have in verse 11, that anyone who has ears to hear, listen to what the Spirit says to the churches, the one who conquers, this word conquer means the one who gets to the end, still believing in Jesus, the one who's still holding on to him, will never be harmed by the second death. What's the second death? If you want to check this, read Revelation 20 and 21 later. It's mentioned three times. The second death is the word or the description that is used to talk about final judgment and hell. And Jesus promises here, if we keep going with him to the end, we have nothing to fear at the judgment seat of God. We have nothing to fear from the punishment of hell. But instead, as we go to those chapters at the end of Revelation, there's two two end points for humanity. One is under judgment. The other is in glory with Christ. You are rich because you're on the pathway to eternity with Jesus. You see the difference that looking at Jesus makes. Thinking of the persecuted church, Yemen is number five on the world watch list. If they find out that you're a Christian in Yemen, you're likely to lose your home, your family, your job. You are likely to lose everything. There's a quote from a Christian in Yemen responding to that. If we sit at home and do nothing, we would be safe. But what kind of Christians would we be if we weren't risking our lives for others to know Christ? How do you get out of your house and put everything on the line daily to tell others about Jesus. How do, you, how do you get past that? Look, it's safe to stay at home, so why don't we stay at home? No, I'm not going to stay at home. I'm going to walk outside and tell people about you. How do you do that? You do that by knowing that while you might lose everything here, you have gained everything with Christ. 
And if seeing that, knowing that makes a difference when you're in Yemen, where the threat to your life is immediate and real, how much more should that make a difference in our lives? Imagine you face a choice to lose your family or follow Jesus. To lose your home or follow Jesus. To lose your freedom or follow Jesus. To lose your job or follow Jesus. Actually, I'll put it that way. Keep those things and follow Jesus. Sorry, just just work that out. You know what I mean, even though I didn't say it right. There's a sense in which those kinds of decisions are coming in. Our last church members meeting brought that up about, well, you know, in our uh, doctrinal distinctive, if we put this doctrinal distinctive here, which we believe from the Bible, and so-and-so's employer knows we belong to this church where it's clear there, well, they lose their job. We know those choices are starting to come. How do we stay bold? How do we stay sticking with Jesus? How do we stay confident in our faith? How do we stay without fear? By knowing that if all of those things are taken away, we still have everything. In Jesus. How do we face the scary without fear? Look at Jesus. As we come to a close, how how do we close this time this morning? With that look at... How do I show you that look at Jesus is more than a strapline? It's real. And it makes a difference. And then I remembered a guy called Polycarp. Bit of a funny name. Polycarp was the bishop of Smyrna. And when this letter was read for the first time in the church of Smyrna, he would have been in his 20s. I can't say for definite he was there. He might have been ill that Sunday. But if he wasn't ill, he would have been there. And he would have heard this letter being read for the first time to the church. In the year 156 AD, he was denounced to the government. He was arrested and tried on the charge of being a Christian. When the proconsul urged him to save his life by cursing Christ, he replied with these famous words, 86 years I have served him, and he never did me any wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? The magistrate was reluctant to kill a gentle old man, but he had no choice. Just before they lit the fire to burn him, he prayed this prayer. Lord God Almighty, Father of your blessed and beloved child, Jesus Christ, through whom we have received knowledge of you, God of angels and hosts and all creation, and of the whole race of the upright who live in your presence, I bless you that you have thought me worthy of this day and hour to be numbered among the martyrs and share in the cup of Christ for resurrection to eternal life, for soul and body in the incorruptibility of the Holy Spirit, 
Among them may I be accepted before you today as a rich and acceptable sacrifice. Just as you, the faithful and true God, have prepared and foreshown and brought about. For this reason and for all things, I praise you. I bless you. I glorify you through the eternal heavenly high priest, Jesus Christ, your beloved child, through whom be glory to you with him and the Holy Spirit now and for the ages to come. Amen. I wonder, as he prayed that prayer, as he faced that, how much of this letter did he remember? He certainly remembered the Christ of this letter. Christ who is eternal. Christ who has defeated death. Christ who understands our suffering, Christ who sits upon the throne and Christ who promises to receive his people into an eternity with him. How do we face the scary without fear? Look at Jesus, should we pray. Father, help us to look at Jesus. Help us to see him more clearly day by day in whatever we're going through and every difficult situation we face. May we not be overwhelmed by it, but may we look at Jesus And see everything in the light of him. Lord, maybe one day we will experience more of what Smyrna went through. And when that time comes, we pray that we will look at Jesus. But help us not to wait till that time to know how to deal with hard things. Help us to practice looking at Jesus every single day. That our lives may be lived in the light of him. Amen.